that's true. E, how was your day? Uh, I was... saw you play EVE online. Uh, that was late last night when I was sort of looking at uh, Captain Lock <laughs> and his live stream, and it got me actually oh, no. to log in for the first time in a million years, which was a mistake, and I regret it already because already I'm thinking of like resubbing like 10 million accounts, and yeah, you know. Wait, wait. Uh, but, so, uh, yeah, I'm... no, we saw you wait, this morning playing. <laughs> yeah, we saw you. Hey, so, Robbie, you left your computer running or you're lying to us? Oh, uh, I, I did. Okay, well, if you believe me, I did leave actually my computer running with uh, Eve Online just open on it because I was yeah. uh, I was actually out with my uh, out with my dad today, which was quite nice. But um, oh my goodness, yeah, believe it or not, guess guess what? I've uh, I've been quarantined um, in Australia, <gasps> so I uh, am, hey, I'm gonna. You have stocked to... up on toilet paper? <laughs> I did, I did actually, legitimately, but not nice. Uh, not because I sort of, uh, not because of any kind of uh, ingenious pre-planning or or anything like that, but uh, just because I happen to have a, a run to Costco, so uh, we kind of got that all sort of out of the way. But I mean, it's going to serve me well because you know, two weeks sort of locked in my house without being able to leave, and uh, you know, having to work from home means that hey, potentially I'm going to have a lot more time to play Eve online. So you know, Captain Lock, that was oh, not yeah. a, that was not a good time. Oh to no! Oh, I'm sorry, no. apologize. Yes, my... My city gets quarantined and I'm gonna. My Overwatch rank's gonna be next level. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? I think if, if any good, there, there might be three good things that come of this. And and look for the other the other sort of more heartless sort of speculation on on the topic. You're gonna have to watch my coronavirus uh, video if it ever gets uh, allowed to be uploaded by YouTube. Um, so you know. Uh, but uh, if anything good comes of this, you know, maybe they'll shut down those live export markets in China and, and all that kind of stuff. But I think the big one is it might make companies realize that working from home is just a really viable solution that works for a lot of employees. Like, my God, I go in and sit at my desk and all I do is get distracted by my co-workers. And, like, I work yeah, probably... People, yeah, people about... don't realize how much a business can save by just having people work from home. Like, uh, usually the productivity is actually higher and you don't have to pay for offices, so... I, I work um, like uh, probably when I'm actually in the office, I would not be surprised if I was working like three hours a day. And I work in a relatively like process driven role. But yeah, otherwise I'm just getting distracted or I'm going out for coffees or I'm commuting exactly. there. Like I could get this all knocked out, um, you know, in sort of four or five hours, you know, get on with my life, not worry about the commuting and also not cost like, uh, I mean, I work in Sydney CBD. Like my, my, my desk and the office and the space that I sort of take up there is not cheap um like legitimately it, it uh, actually costs a lot to facilitate those sort of workers so i don't know that's my two cents hopefully uh hopefully they see the light oh well, actually you could probably pay your employee like if you if you just have like your employees work from home at least depending on the industry you could probably save like a lot of money and be able to pay them more yeah or potentially pay them less and just make more money like i would legitimately be I mean, more than happy, happy to knock well i don't know obviously it's all relative like obviously someone earning sixty thousand dollars a year is going to be less you know keen to knock ten thousand dollars off their their salary uh, to work from home but i would happily take a ten thousand dollar pay hit if it meant that i could um you know work from home oh yeah yeah if you have like really young kids that would also be a if you're more productive at home, then shouldn't you be asking for an increase in your pay? Actually, yeah, that's that's kind of what I was. Yeah, you're getting more work done, so you should be well, getting paid more. 
Yeah, but I mean, it's one of those things you've got to get if over. You know so you've, got to get over you've got to get over there. Oh, yes, but you do. You've got to, got to be in the office. Nine to five. How do we, yeah, how do we know that you're, you know, actually doing the work and that kind of stuff? But if I'm in work, like, I'm going to get... How do you know that you're life. doing it at work? Exactly. Yeah, like, most... You can probably guarantee that, like, half... Or a good percentage of employees are just, like, browsing, like, Reddit or Pinterest or whatever. Like... If they're, if they're just working at some like cubicle farm, the only hardworking people are the people that work in McDonald's. They're true. always on the shift. Actually true. Yep. Yo, hello. 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 Hi. Um. Yeah, I've been on the server today. I was asking about doing an Egyptian economy video. Yeah, uh, every every country in the world will um, be explored. So both uh, ancient and modern Egypt will eventually be explored, but uh, I can only put out three videos in a week. So patience in the meantime. <laughs> but yes, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but I mean, that's, that's probably a good question because obviously it's probably actually probably one of the interesting ones, both both modern and um, ancient uh, to, to sort of go over. But, uh, but yeah, I, I do plan on doing them both. Uh, probably in the not too distant future, actually, for the ancient, because I'm going to have a sort of slight series on on major ancient civilizations, which I think will be uh, pretty interesting. Oh, okay. cool. If cool. I do say so myself. Anyway, so I hope everyone here has at least uh, pretended to watch the video on the economy of Mexico. Uh, now I do realize it's Yo, a good. slightly longer one, um, so if you haven't already, go and do that immediately, and don't talk to me until you have. Um, but other than that, I, I, was hope gonna you... I was gonna watch. I was gonna watch it. This, uh, I was gonna watch it, but then I just, I just, I just saw the Q and A, so if I wanted to ask the question, I was gonna go watch the video later. I mean, go watch it now. No, nah, I don't really mind. Um, but yeah, look. No, I mean, it, no. it, it, uh, to be watch honest, I, 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 I always watch. Like I don't think videos that you post, like I, I'm not gonna be interested. I usually, I usually watch them anyways. So don't worry about that. I'm only joking with you guys. There's no way I can force you guys to watch them hypothetically. But um, yeah, exactly. Comment and subscribe, please. I need it. <laughs> Do you want to win the free Fortnite? Oh my! Wow. Well, we'll see. We'll see if I have to. If 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 the video uh works out to 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 happen like uh, the 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 one on space travel, then I might have to stoop to that kind of level. That was an unpopular video. My goodness. Oh. Yeah. But I suppose it's all yes. relative. I've right? seen that happen with a lot of YouTube channels where you have like consistently like 100k and then like one video just bombs out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, I suppose I probably shouldn't be too um too uh sad. I suppose like six months ago, I was really excited. I remember. When I posted my Eve Online video, the first one that I did, uh, <laughs> and I was that's how that's how it's on your channel. And I I was so excited when I um I was so excited when I got 100 views in the first hour. I was like, my <laughs> goodness, I've made it. <laughs> I was like, yes. <laughs> I remember I was I, I was actually going out and getting uh like I, I uploaded the video on a Thursday night and I went out to get a kebab afterwards and I was like waiting there waiting for my beef kebab, uh like refreshing. I was like, oh, another view. Oh, and another one. Uh, it was all very exciting. <laughs> of course, it's probably come a uh, it's come a long way since then. No, uh, thank you guys for all of that. But it's it's it shows you how quickly you get used to a status quo, right? Uh, the the constant um, 
you know, desire, the human nature for always wanting more and more and anything that goes backwards, even if it means that you've only lost, you know, a month's worth of progress is seen as, as like mm. this, this hugely jeopardizing thing. So, you know, normally I kind of like hope that my videos get anywhere between 150 and like 400,000 views. Um, mm -hmm. And this one got 83,000, which, you know, as I sort of said, you know, this time last year would have been unbelievable. Um, but it's now like, oh my goodness, what did I do wrong? Yeah, sometimes the algorithm is just having a bad day. Like Yes, the algorithm most of the time. Maybe other keywords you have used that also can have something to do with it. Uh, yeah. Maybe it was a bit more controversial or anything like that. Uh, it oh, also affects it. those things. Yeah. I think it was just one of those things. I actually said um, uh, it was just a click-through rate, so maybe it wasn't clickbait enough. It's actually quite interesting, the analytics that YouTube gives you. They give you sort of an, an indication as to what went wrong with your video, yeah. uh, if, it, if it's underperforming. And they sort of said, well, look, people are watching it for just as long, and people are liking it just as much and commenting just as much. It's just that not as many people sort of click on it when we sort of present it to them because, uh, you know, and maybe they just don't find it as interesting, which is fair enough, I suppose. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. Ah, this is a really interesting one. So, Brocast. Now, it doesn't have anything to do with Mexico, but it is an interesting question. Um, what do you think the implications could be for the general economy as a result of these spikes of demand due to panic buying? Really good question. So, um, it's sort of one of those things that's probably broken down into two parts. Now, uh, overall, I think the general demand for stuff in an economy will go backwards. Um, you know, people are less likely to go out for dinners, less likely to travel is, is a big one as well. So tourism's really um, faltering. Um, people are less likely to, I don't know, go out and see family or, or do all, a lot of other sort of activities that generally lead to spending a fair amount of money. Um, and that sort of is, is the negative side of it. And of course, a lot of people have said the positive side of it is people are going crazy. They're hitting up their local supermarkets, buying up every piece of toilet paper in sight and, you know, building up a stockpile of enough canned food to last through a nuclear winter. Uh, and that's sort of giving a, you know, big sort of cash injection into these sort of institutions. Now, the downplay with that is twofold. Now, first, of course, is that most of that spending is directed entirely towards major institutions. Uh, so in America, it's you know, probably places like Walmart, maybe Amazon, Whole Foods. I'm not sure what the major grocery chains are in, in uh, America, but I'm assuming Walmart's kind of the, the big one that most people go to do their yeah. grocery shopping. Um, tell me, call me out if I'm wrong. Um, but uh, in, in uh, Australia, it's either Woolworths um, or Coles and a little bit Aldi is starting to sort of move into our market, but pri primarily those ones. And, and I'm assuming it's, you know, most um, major modern economies have sort of oligopolies in their, their grocery market, uh, which means that effectively that money is probably not really being recirculated very heavily. It, it, it's probably just going to drive up the profits of these sort of institutions. Um, so it's potentially spending that, sure, you know, maybe there'll be a bit of a, a spike in demand, but uh, ultimately it's kind of one of those things. It's, it's probably not going to the right places. But the other thing is that was really interesting is uh, if you look at the kind of demand and what it's actually sort of being directed towards, uh, it's, it's especially like things like non-perishables. So things like canned food, I suppose, but also, you know, I'll, I'll use the example of toilet paper. Now, toilet paper has been the hottest commodity and it's because it's just sort of flying off shelves and people are kind of panic buying toilet paper. <laughs> toilet paper of all things, um, because it's obviously big and bulky and, and, and uh, grocery stores can't hold as much of it. But there's one of those things, though. Let's say hypothetically someone, you know, let's say everyone in this server gets really scared about the, the prospect of having to, you know, seal themselves in their home for four weeks and 
goes and buys up you know 100 rolls of toilet paper each to make sure that they're all set for their uh for their shut-in fair enough no worries obviously you would um you know wipe out the grocery stores and you know that would lead to more people wanting to buy it and it's sort of so the cycle continues but the other thing is let's say you know whatever the eventual scenario is um eventually you're going to get to a point where you're going to work your way through all of that toilet paper but it's going to take a very very long time which means in two months when you'd normally be going out to do your shop for um you know your toilet paper you'd be like well I can kind of just scratch that off my grocery list. I don't need to buy it anymore. It's already sitting there in my pantry. It's a non-perishable mm-hmm. item, so it means, sure, you're kind of compressing the demand into this short, sharp spike, uh, but it's not like you've actually genuinely increased the aggregate demand for any kind of particular consumer goods over an annual period, I suppose, or over any kind of period that um, it would be smooth for an economy. So, yeah, um, will the panic buying be good for an economy i mean sure any kind of any kind of consumption is good but it certainly won't outweigh um it certainly won't outweigh the, the negative sort of impacts of the fear and, and sort of indecisiveness that it's put into the economy and also uh, potentially this this purchasing is um gonna cause sort of issues you know two or three months time when uh people actually sort of have to start eating through their canned food and using up all of their sort of excessive supplies of toilet paper so um it'll be an interesting one to watch and uh, unfortunately companies have just kind of got to facilitate it in the meantime a good question oh, the, what the, sort of dust the real, there? oh yeah the real fun starts when the, the bank run starts <laughs> yeah. oh yes yeah, no. yeah. Oh, when everyone starts taking out cash. Mm. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you can see this reflected, especially in the South, like, and stuff during hurricanes. Like, Winn-Dixie, which is one southern grocery chain, like, has incredible sales around hurricane season every year, since people will bulk up on, like, as you said, like, non-perishable items, but then afterwards their sales are a lot lower, so. Yeah, well, there you go. See, um, that's not an ideal outcome for them. They would rather sort of smooth, consistent, but I suppose a lot of that is sort of seasonal. You know, if not if not hurricane season, it'll be Christmas season or Thanksgiving or, or something like that. And it's ultimately just yeah. the job of business to it's accommodate for it. It's kind of expected every year since, like... Exactly. It's this this one, the only difference is, of course, it, it's a bit more unexpected. Uh, it's kind of come out of nowhere, so they've kind of got to ramp everything up and get everything going all over again, which is, um, you know, can be, can be quite sort of unsettling for a lot of businesses. Uh, okay, so... Um, yeah, that was uh, an interesting one with, with quite a lot to unpack there. Uh, did anyone have any questions about Mexico particularly? I'm happy to answer that. Uh, I don't really I, mind. But I don't I like think start that you with... mentioned the constant political instability that's happening in Mexico all the time. Uh, not just recently, but its entire history is mired in revolution and uprisings. I think that's also a contributing factor. Yeah, and I think that's certainly fair, and, and there's probably a lot to be said for it. Uh, unfortunately, of course, you know, I sort of try to be a little bit more limiting on time with my videos, and if I had to point out that political corruption existed in XYZ economy, uh, then 90% of the videos that I made about any economy that I explore would be uh, having a lot of time dedicated to the fact that there's political corruption. Uh, unfortunately, it's not something that's exclusive to Mexico. Certainly, it exists in Mexico, um, but it's not exclusive to the nation to a point. We are not talking about if it's uh, exclusive, but how excessive it is. It's excessive in many, many other countries around the world. It, 
it's just one of those things, unfortunately. You look, if I had to, uh, if I had to talk about it, sort of for for every country, you know, obviously, you know, there's there's Mexico, there's corruption in the Philippines, there's corruption in China, uh, there's corruption in India, there's corruption in Saudi Arabia, there's corruption in America, there's corruption in Australia, uh, there's corruption in every country around the world. Obviously, it it sort of all exists on a scale, but you know, there are countries that are. Um, probably more corrupt uh, than Mexico, and certainly there are com- uh, countries less corrupt than Mexico. Uh, but the point I was trying to make is, uh, in terms of the sort of case studies that we were exploring in relation to Mexico, um, it, it wasn't particularly poignant, it wasn't particularly uh, important either, uh, and it's just one of those things that I can't really address the corruption issue in absolutely every single video, because one, you know, obviously it gets boring, people know that there's corruption out there, uh, and two, unless it sort of particularly relates to the the economic case study uh, that we're looking at, it's just one of those things that probably I don't really have the time to go over. Um, but yeah, I mean, certainly, uh, it's a good point that, that it's there, and, and hopefully that um, that makes sense, and I'm not trying to, to dodge or weave around the issue. Why are you up so late, by the way? It's like uh, 2 o'clock. Uh, let me tell you. Let, let me... T- um, so originally tonight's video was supposed to be um, on the economic impacts of the coronavirus and that was uploaded on time and it was all ready to go and then sort of about 15 minutes before I made it public, uh, YouTube was like, sent me a message, he's like, no, don't upload that video, um, we, we see it as like questionable content. I'm like, what the fuck? All right, here uh, yeah, they, are, they, are, they are censoring things about Corona. They are using only alternative sources, whatever that means. Yeah, and I suppose that... They, they, they saw coronavirus in the title, and they realized, oh shit. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's like, oh my god, here we go. Now, look, I understand it from both points of view. Like, obviously, there are probably people... Remember someone... that, that time when they put a 9-11 disclaimer on the Notre Dame fire? That, was, that one was fun from the algorithm. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, obviously, I I can kind of appreciate it from a sense uh, point of view that we don't want, you know, someone said we don't want uh, Jake Paul and 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 you know that sort of making pranks out of coronavirus or anything like that because that's just a recipe for goddamn disaster. But in the other sense, I don't feel like it should necessarily be censored like this. It's it's just a sort of it's a world issue, just the same as anything else. But I suppose it has the capacity to cause a lot of panic unduly and. You know, maybe it's a developing issue, but I don't see it as any different from, like, uh, you know, any other world issue, I suppose. Any, like, you know, a, an election or the Iranian conflict or anything like that. But I digress. Obviously, they've made their decision. So the the idea is that they, they said, don't, don't upload it because otherwise it will be a community strike. And, um, you know, let us review it and, and it will be one of three things. Either you won't be allowed to upload it at all. Uh, or you, you won't be, a, you'll be allowed to upload it, but it won't be monetized. Or you'll be allowed to upload it. Uh, and it will be monetized, but but you got to give us time to review it. And I was like, nah, all right, whatever, fair enough. So back to the drawing board, I had to compress another video that I had uh, in reserve and upload it and uh, get all of that sort of ready to go. So that that is why I am up at 2 a.m. Well, welcome to the club. <laughs> Thank you. So yeah, um, uh, good, good question, because uh, yeah, no, look, normally I am up quite late for these Q&A sessions, just because I kind of want a little bit of overlap uh, with as many kind of continents as I can possibly get, and I feel like I get the very tail end of Australia at this time, I get the middle of Europe uh, and early morning America, so it's like the best chance that I have to reach out to everyone. 
Uh, but I kind of feel like I get everyone at a terrible time. So, compromise, you know? Yeah. 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 Yeah, understandable. Oh my god, no questions? Wow. Yeah, I know. Everyone's tired. Yeah. Maybe it's, you know what it is? It's the Australians. They're asleep. They mm -hmm. can't derail no, the conversation. Not. No, I'm not. I can derail it if you want me to. The, the, the one more interesting thing about Mexico is how tied it is to the US economy. And that's uh, one of the most interesting aspects about Mexico. Yeah, of course. I mean, I don't know if you've watched the video um, but I did explore that and one of the sort of really fascinating parts is that um, because it is so intertwined with the uh, American economy uh, and and because of its trade sort of means so much to the the stability of the nation and the prosperity of the nation during the 2016 presidential election the um, sort of rhetoric of Donald Trump and and sort of how his polling went had a really sort of heavy correlation to the the price of the peso uh, as it related to U.S. currency and on sort of global foreign exchange markets because they sort of deemed that, you know, if, if Donald Trump has a good chance of getting elected, uh, you know, that means bad things for, uh, you know, you know, North American free trade agreement and by extension sort of uh, the trade between Mexico and the United States. So that would be really bad for the economy, which is really bad for the peso. Uh, so it was kind of this weird speculative market. It was, it was very, very unusual. Um, and it was sort of the strongest correlation that a foreign currency has ever had on a foreign election uh, which is quite cool quite cool for uh you know uh, an economist sort of looking economist, at it as a case yeah. study not not cool for uh the mexican economy yeah or for your average viewer as well like you know it's kind of that you know, correlation it's a little lost on most people we don't teach enough statistics by the way the drug trade video is going to be a good one i can tell it no, that one's that one's definitely going to be demonetized. That's all right. I can suck that one up, you know. But what video is going to be demonetized? Uh the economy of the drug trade. One hundred percent. Oh yeah, so fast. It'll it'll get it'll, get, it'll probably won't even get monetized at all. It'll probably just get taken down straight away. Yeah. Well, maybe you can put that up on the second channel or something like that. <clears> yeah. yeah. We'll see. The YouTube moderator himself will come to your house to take down the video. Yeah, dressed up in like a giant play suit. Yeah, did you uh, address the question that David asked on the live stream? Uh, David just asked that question, but I'm oh. still still reading it. Oh, but it is. Look at look at you, hey. so on top of everything. All right, I'm gonna start. No, with I just looked over there. Yeah, I'm gonna start with Golden Falcon. How do you think the future of Mexico is looking? Um, look, I mean, generally, I'm optimistic about these kinds of nations. I think as they sort of embrace technology and industry, and and certainly as they sort of seeming to be making the right steps regarding, uh, you know, their, let's be honest, sort of illicit trades, um, they will have the capacity to, to improve, you know. It's, it's, I think Mexico's sort of working hard to alleviate the stigma it's had, and it's, it's one of those things that's easy to get and easy to get rid of. Um, so I think if it can stay out of the news for um, sort of a set amount of years and it can do something sort of proactively to address the problem it has with, with violence, um, man, it's going to be going to do great you know think of it sort of logically there's there's nothing to sort of say that that mexico uh can't be as economically prosperous as say canada you know they both have a lot of natural resources they both have you know well 
probably obviously you know Canada has a lot more land mass but similar usable land mass um, and you know they they both had sort of relatively productive uh, society like uh, citizens so it's just one of those things where as long as they can overcome sort of the adversities that they have at the moment uh, they're gonna have they're gonna do all right oh, I reckon they'll be just fine all right. yeah as long as they can establish proper control over their own territories that's the caveat here Uh, okay, so David had a really good question. Uh, people talk about companies and businesses being alive only due to giant loans from banks or subsidies from the state, and that they are going to start to crumble as soon. Uh, they're going to start to crumble soon due to the global epidemic. What is your take on that? Um, yeah, so that's really really interesting. Again, actually, I legitimately addressed this in um, the video that I was supposed to upload. So, grr, but um, I suppose it's a bit of a teaser. Uh, it's going to be really, really interesting because for the most part, I think, um, like obviously most people that are in this chat right now or on the live stream will be aware that, of course, um, you know, stock markets have plummeted in, in recent weeks. I think up to date we've sort of lost sort of 15% uh, from the peak of the market, which was sort of at the beginning of this month or a little bit before, uh, which is obviously very, very severe. Now, as for what this all means. Now, a lot of people are, of course, just pointing to the fact that, yeah, it's coronavirus, you know, it's shutting down factories and affecting supply chains and things of that nature. And, and yeah, I think for the most part, that's true, but I don't think this impact would be as severe if it was just coronavirus. I think coronavirus and, and the sort of the news and hype around it is sort of the, the pin that pops the balloon uh, or the, the straw that broke the camel's back um, in the sense that you know, we have a lot of companies right now that are really very highly leveraged, uh, running on high growth, low yield models, where realistically they probably are overvalued. Uh, and it's sometimes very hard to sort of look at the value of, of a lot of companies and say, oh, yep, that seems reasonable. Um, and then with that, they then will sort of say, well, okay, sure, they have a lot of debt, but you know, maybe they have the capacity to grow or, you know, maybe it's sort of, you know, sort of a growth phase and that's fair enough. But then this, this coronavirus comes along that sort of puts a little hiccup into the system. It's that, that little, you know, fine, you know, that tiny little thing, you know, maybe factories shut down for a few weeks or maybe people stop at going out to buy new iPhones or, or maybe tourism slows down for a couple of months. Uh, it's just that little slight hiccup uh, that will just shatter these very, very delicate systems that a lot of these sort of very highly leveraged companies have built up. Uh, and it's surprising how quickly that can turn south. Investors will know this and they say, well, okay, um, shit, maybe it's a good time to actually kind of get out. And maybe it's a little bit of fear talking that people ultimately know that there's that general sentiment that already markets are overvalued because of those reasons. Whether that's true or not, who knows? If I knew, I wouldn't be here talking to you idiots. I would be the richest person in the world. Um, but uh, the other thing is they know that the, the outbreak of this, this flu is, is going to mean bad news, which generally leads to sort of, you know, market slumps. And I think all of that is kind of why we are seeing this massive decline. Will it actually sort of mean anything bad long term for any particular companies? No. Potentially it might actually expose some flaws that were already there. Uh, but I think hypothetically, look, uh, I'm still very much sort of on the side of the fence that is, chances are, you know, sort of 12 months from now, uh, it will be a distant memory like swine flu, bird flu, 
MERS, SARS, all of that. You know, still something that we, we were aware of and that we were concerned about, um, but not something that's in this sort of common psyche. Uh, but yeah, that's a that's a very sort of roundabout way of saying that. Yeah, I think um, you know, uh, shitty companies will be exposed for being shitty, and uh, you know, good companies will probably just do just fine. So this was basically the impetus for a major market correction that was coming either way in the future. This was just the impetus of it. Yeah, and uh, whether the you know whether the market should have been corrected, it's it's one of those really interesting things. I mean, uh, obviously we have a sort of a lot of intelligent people here in the room, and I'm sure a lot of people here either sort of directly or indirectly sort of watch and. Uh, maybe are exposed to to the share market and I'd be interested to hear what your sort of opinions are on it being undervalued overvalued just right you know um, where do you guys sit a well, that fence on one hand cheap stocks right now so if you have if you have cash reserve buy <laughs> at least that's what I did well uh, in my honest opinion if you're buying stocks or anything like that you're buying and probability to get money afterwards like you're no longer in today's economy buying stuff you're buying promises so that might uh impact the values yo quick question how, um how long is it gonna last how long is this community gonna go on for how long is the war gonna go on for how's you how long is the community gonna go on for uh, until I get tired and go to sleep. Ah, <laughs> uh, alright, okay. Just making sure, because I didn't want to, because right now I can't really ask many questions, because I'm not, I'm not by myself, so I just don't want to miss. So, I just want to finish what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah, you could always type them out. I, I do my best to sort of, um, to, to sort of read them. Um, uh, CLXI says, what's the best example of a bilateral free trade agreement? Ooh. Um, nah, I don't know why the woo was necessary, um, but, um, oh, Jesus, I look like an idiot. Off the top of my head, I can't even think of a single sort of, uh, bilateral agreement. Most of them, uh, sort of multilateral and they sort of involve many, many countries, but, uh, uh, oh, actually, yeah, I suppose there's, there's a, um, sort of a free trade agreement between, uh, Australia and New Zealand. It exists sort of purely between those two countries, because effectively New Zealand is a, uh, you know, a bastard microstate that is effectively Australian, but they sort of seem to, you know, want to claim their their independence. And you know, for the most part, we we let them have that, just you know, partially for for separation issues and and, and partially because it makes them feel better about themselves. But uh, a way we sort of get around that is is effectively um, the economies of the nation are very heavily interlinked, and there is a you know sort of free trade exclusively between those two countries. You can uh, you can travel, you can work, you can trade very very freely between australia and new zealand uh, and that's an ex a partnership that just exists between those two countries um but yeah i mean it's a good point because look i mean trump for example is a big proponent of bilateral agreements because uh, he sort of wants to get into agreements where america and some other counterparty are kind of hashing it out directly you know that that's his sort of big thing the art of the deal and that tends to be something that yeah, they make sort of one-on-one -on -one and you know, there's probably a lot of stuff to be said for that because you know America does have that kind of negotiating power, uh, where if it does get into bilateral agreements, it you know kind of can sort of hold the power of that negotiation. Where if it's in multilateral agreements, it's like, okay, obviously America is a very very important economy, but 
you know, it, we're not kind of willing to leave this agreement or, or alter it just for that because collectively we're still sort of more important. Um, but yeah, anyway, good question. Uh, that that was my sort of tangent from it. Um, I've got a question. Uh, I don't know if you've already gone over it, but um, what do you think of like Mexico as a narco state? And like the huge drug problem and crime within Mexico, and how that could maybe hinder it from developing. Uh, yeah, well, of course, you know the perception of uh, you know the sort of the crime rates and things like that are you know what has potentially held back a lot of that foreign direct investment. So you know when you're thinking of uh, you know, and I sort of put it to you. Obviously, you're not an institution, and, and you're not probably looking to open a factory, but. Um, let's say tomorrow you were made CEO of, you know, XYZ Productions Inc. and you had to make widgets, okay? Uh, widgets are just this ubiquitous, general, sort of medium quality consumer good that's sold in retail shelves across America. Uh, where would you produce it, you know, if you, if you had the choice? Probably China, to be honest. Okay, and why did you say China? Because it's like, it's cheap, cheap labour. Um, at the moment, obviously, coronavirus, their supply like lines are kind of messed up. Yeah. Okay. Well, overall, let's they've got a pretty good track record. Yeah, let's ignore let's ignore coronavirus. And, and yeah, look, obviously, you, yeah, know, yeah. you hit yeah, on a, yeah. few, a few issues there, and, and you're right, you know, uh, cheap, um, you know, pretty good track record. And, and, you know, obviously, it has that reputation, right? It's kind of like made in China. It's like just our kind of go-to. You know, if I need something made, I'll, I'll freaking make it in China. Uh, and that is effective branding. Relaxed environmental regulations. Yeah, yeah, which which kind of feeds into cheap ultimately, and uh, and you know they've effectively branded themselves. I mean, obviously, made in China is for a lot of people a bit of tongue in cheek. It's like you know, kind of cheap crap, and you know, but uh, for companies, it's like oh, they know that that's kind of a good place to go to to get stuff done. Uh, but the thing is, for uh, for many many products, Mexico is actually a cheaper alternative than China. It's closer. You don't have to ship it as far, uh, and obviously the trade agreements between the two nations are sort of a lot more competitive. Um, it's also something where you know potentially, obviously, it has its own issues, but uh, it's potentially sort of a. Uh, oh, someone's echoing. Sorry. Um, it's potentially one of those. Hang on, I need to find out who that is because that's annoying the shit out of me. Speak now for a roll, you piece. There you go. There you go. Uh, you were echoing a bit. Just let me know if you can fix up your microphone and, and, and we'll get you unmuted if you want to talk. Other than that, I'll just going to keep you muted. All right. Um, so anyway, as I was saying, uh, you know, Mexico from many parts is, is sort of a lot better. Uh, it ticks a lot more boxes, especially for North America. Uh, you know, it's some, somewhat even just because it's geography, you know. Look, it's, it's literally right there. It's on the border. Um, but uh, a lot of people overlook it as a manufacturing center for exactly the reason that you talked about. Um, you know, hey, well, I think of Mexico, I think of, you know, drug problems. I think of, you know, you know, big narco uh, bosses and stuff like that. I don't think of manufacturing centers. When I think of China, that's exactly what I think of. So that kind of uh, national branding has, has impacted them. Yeah, I saw, of course, you know, large institutions, Ford, GM, uh, you know, companies like that, they, they have enough sort of groundwork, they have enough research in the area that they can uh, sort of overlook that and they'll still make the rational decision. But smaller manufacturers may not even give them a second thought. Uh, and of course, you know, the aggregate of that is that it does impact their, their manufacturing-based economy. Yeah, I'd have to say you're 
on the video about credit in Mexico is very accurate. It's actually pretty hard to get a home loan in Mexico compared to, comparably to the U.S. Because uh, my relatives that would try to get home loans in Mexico would get uh, would get stifled by all the red tape because they would ask them, say for instance, oh, we need a health check on you to make sure you know the bank would want to know if they're getting their loan paid off, or they would ask for a lot of collateral that wouldn't happen in the U.S. Uh, I think yeah. part of it involves because of the past financial crisis that Mexico has gone through. And, uh, and yeah, additionally, recently, uh, Mexico did have, uh, I don't know if it's a housing crisis, but they did have this situation of where they were giving out home loans quite a lot. And there was these uh, you know, overnight suburbs that were popping up uh, across Mexico. Um, and people were basically, you know, defaulting immediately on these uh, home loans um, and I never I'm not sure what became of that but I was looking at that two years ago so yeah and you also to... you also have to think of like uh, home loans as a product are um, you know quite quite an interesting sort of financial instrument uh, effectively they're sort of two securities in one you know obviously you have the security of the, the borrower and their promise to repay but also the security of an actual house uh, and that's what makes them so safe. You know, let's say in America, you know, you can get a home loan for 2% interest and that's fantastic. Um, but the reason that they charge you such little interest is because, uh, let's say, you know, heaven forbid you default or you lose your job or you just say, fuck you, Wells Fargo, I'm not paying you back. Well, they can come in and take your house and then sell it and they can use that to recoup their losses. And, you know, they have the full right to do that because, of course, you know, they have the title of your house sort of in their bank. Uh, and that's what makes you know home loans as a product so secure. But effectively, in that you are indirectly, in a sense, exposed to the real estate market of any particular country that you are lending in. Uh, and of course, the American real estate market, you know, hey, it's had its instabilities. You know, two thousand and eight, for example, they're still seen as probably a little bit more solid, a little bit more reputable than the real estate economy of Mexico. Uh, and that means that you know. One, banks are going to ask for a lot more sort of thorough checks because they want to make sure that the actual borrower side of the equation, so the, the first line of defense in, in securitizing a loan, uh, is rock solid. And they also want to, you know, probably you know, do their due diligence about what kind of home you're actually buying, where it is in Mexico, and, you know, making sure that money is actually getting used for what it sort of says it's being used for. Um, which is, you know, obviously sort of something that's going to, one, make interest rates higher, and two, probably mean a lot more paperwork for borrowers if i may interject um like in sub-saharan africa for example a lot of the large interest rates of upwards of 50 percent are because of a asymmetry of information between lenders and borrowers so obviously and because of a large informal economy you can't be sure that that person has a stable income and has you know um has the income that they state and i'm i assume that there's is probably obviously more stable in that regard in Mexico than it is in Sub-Saharan Africa, but probably not as stable as North America. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Are you talking about mortgages in Sub-Saharan Africa, or are you sure you're not talking about microloans? Oh, no, I'm talking mortgages anyway. Either way, if it's a microloan or a mortgage, there's still huge asymmetry of information, but if there's a large informal economy, for example, a lot of people in Mexico will, will work in you know, food stalls and um, 
they won't they won't look work for Fortune 500 companies like a lot of people in uh, the US do. Yeah, and they won't get pay slips. They'll be paid cash in hand, and you know they might not have tax records and things like that. And obviously, that makes it very, very difficult to actually sort of verify that they're earning the income that they say they are. And, and you know, as part of that, of course, you have to sort of demand it's it's a higher risk, so you need a higher payoff, uh, which is you know absolutely true. They 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 can't access credit as cheaply as someone in the United States can. Yeah, and of course, oh, you yeah, know, sub-Saharan Africa is is the extreme end of the example, but of course, it, it does inflict countries like uh, Mexico there as well. That's that's also the other part about Mexico it has a large informal economy that it's very hard to access a formal economy because of uh, lack of banking, as as you mentioned. That's it's a huge problem that isn't really talked about. Uh, in mainstream sources, but in Mexico, it is pretty talked about well because it it, it affects especially the rural areas where you know they can't take out a loan to start a business or whatever. It's usually just done through their own sheer will of savings. Yeah, that's a, that's exactly right, and that was the point that I was that I was really sort of hammering down on in, in the video, amongst others, of course. It's um, you know, uh, there's a bit of a credit crisis just in the opposite direction in Mexico. Uh, but anyway, um, someone had a question. I'm going to answer that, and then I'm going to go to sleep because it is 2:40 a.m. And I, even though I'm quarantined, do still have to be a somewhat productive member of society tomorrow. Yo, Wait, why are you quarantined? Ah, uh, because a uh, my brother-in-law came back on a flight from Korea, and someone on his flight had coronavirus. Nice. So, 14 days. Yep, that's right. Uh, so, I have a question. It's off topic, but uh, it's just sort of like a little thing. Well, what's your opinion on uh, Australia's squatting laws? Oh, I, I don't really know too much about it. I mean, I know that... that because sometimes... if, if, if you squat on a property for over 15 years, it becomes yours. Oh, uh, well, if that... someone... <laughs> If someone leaves their yeah. property vacant for 15 years, honestly, um, good on them. Call it like a really hardcore game of capture the flag or king yeah. of the hill. I mean, honestly, like that's, um, I, I don't think property should be left vacant for that long. It's got to be really damn hard to prove that you've been there for 15 years, though. My goodness gracious me. Uh, interesting, interesting theory. I mean, like, uh, like in my, uh, in my building in particular, like my building that I live in at the moment hasn't even been around for 15 years, but it's uh, in an area that's sort of very, very um, popular with like uh, like not Chinese immigrants, but Chinese people that will come here, do business in Australia, and then go back and uh, and they buy up these apartments as sort of a, a store of wealth, and they don't live in them at all. Um, you know, oftentimes yeah, and if, so if someone was to squat there and go unnoticed for an extended 15, period of time, 15 years, they can like, they can goodness. actually own that thing. They'd be set, and I mean, like, I mean, there's there's some apartments in this building that cost many, many millions of dollars. So it's like, oh, actually, there you go. There's a there's a good business model. Worst case scenario, it you've got, you've it's got called free. it's called. Costa Rica is the thing, same way. Yeah, there's a thing in Australian history called squatocracy, which is referred to in Waltzing Matilda, where people just pitch out land and they just put up fences and then just live there for ages. Yep, and then so... when the government comes knocking years later, they're just like, nah, I've lived here forever. Fuck off. I think so. I think the, this, is called uh... ad, this is uh, there's a, the legal term is called adverse uh, possession. 
Yep. So ad so the way that it works is uh, it's the idea that if you are maintaining the land, if you are upkeeping the property, and you do it sufficiently long, and nobody comes and it should be your right, it should be your land because you put time and value in. Um, and it, it's you. So when you're owning, when you're on this other person's land, you are the adversary to this. But if no one comes and says get off, um, then it's after you've worked the land, you've owned that land, or you, you don't own the land, but you've worked that land, you've inhabited that land for such amount of time, and you've put you know value and money into it, and effort and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, the law you know, looks at that and says, well, that's equitable. Like, that's that's fair that you would own that land now. Uh, however, that doesn't mean uh, that you, you can now go to your landlord and say, hey, I own my uh, apartment, because it doesn't work. No. It, 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 has uh, it has to be uh, essentially, um, uh, well, settling there or using that uh, particular property yep. without the owner's uh, prior notice or an arrangement with him. Uh, yep. That's also why you have, for example, in the Netherlands, we have a little bit of a different uh, story in, in, in that. Um, it's more about, essentially, uh, after like 20 years, you're allowed to use the land. However, it will never be your possession. That's completely different from uh, what you have in, in essentially, Anglo-Saxon uh, countries, uh, which, of course, is a, a remnantness of a law which is still, to this date, also uh, applicable in the UK itself. Um, however, if you leave uh, that particular land or, or, or building or real estate, it doesn't really matter. That means it automatically re uh, resolves back to, um, to the prior owner, the owner who originally owned it. And that's, of course, a bit different of the, the law that you are talking about, which means if you stayed there long enough and put in, indeed the work in, so you can't just go into a building every day and say after 15 years even though it's horribly maintained oh it's now mine you didn't put in the effort to uh, own it as well that's yes, of course the, very there is the, the the effort isn't isn't one of the criteria though it's uh it's more of an additional thing so if you are just occupying the land so here's the key thing the property must be abandoned so that means like the person who owns it doesn't visit the property anymore they never use it they don't, they don't like you know, uh, acknowledge its existence. Um, so it's basically you know, to them it doesn't exist. To the, to the own property owner, they don't care that it exists. Uh, so they abandon it. And during this time, you know, squatter comes in. Uh, they are now an adverse possession of that. Uh, and in, unless uh, the person, the owner, uh, force or or kicks them out, or makes some effort to remove them from their property, uh, then it, it, until the owner does that, the person is still in adverse possession. And if they can hold adverse possession for a uh, long enough time, uh, that property then becomes theirs. Yep. And, and, and the, uh, you know, that seems like, why, why do we have these things? Um, it's just, uh, it's, a, it's a part of our uh, business law that has you know, existed um, since, uh, can't even, it's just it's a really old law um, yeah and actually it's perverse incentive though like you're you're incentivizing people to instead of investing their labor or their their money into actually acquiring property to just find one abandoned and just repossession of it 
Yeah, like, but here's the key well, thing. Like, the person, ha you have to have what's called continuous possession of it. So that mm -hmm. means that if you're a squatter and the person comes and says you can't be on my property, well, that at that moment, the timer resets. Yep. Um, in, in theory. Now, the person has to actually go through with actually kicking you off of that property. So let's pretend you're the squatter, I'm the landowner. Does Do it I have to be him? the landowner himself, or can it be a representative of the landowner? Um, if, if it is a oh, representative of yeah, that's, who uh, is managing the estate, that's also fine. Yeah. It must be a legal like, representative. Uh, and if it's police, well, I don't see why police would kick him off unless they know, actively know, that that person shouldn't be there. Right? Well, so, that, that, if the police is uh, made aware and, and asks to intervene, that needs to be done either through two things. This uh, person has done uh, essentially a crime on yep. the property uh, that allows the police, of course, to intervene, or uh, a notice of eviction, essentially. Even though they are squatters, uh, they are officially not allowed to be on the land. However, you can't just go about and use force to kick them off. Uh, that's in the Netherlands. I don't know yep. if that's the case anywhere so else. A, so here's a couple of things. So let's do a scenario. Okay, so one of you guys is going to be the squatter. I'm the landowner. So let's say it's been three years since I visited the property. Okay, I come back to the property and I find you there. There's a couple things that can happen. One, I tell you to get away. I tell you to get off my property. You say no, so I get the police involved. Police kick you off. Your adverse position has ended. Your effective all the time that you had there uh, resets. So let's say I come back after three years and I still see you there. Um, well, now it's this is you, you still haven't satisfied the adverse property uh, because I temporarily removed you. Uh, here's another thing. Uh, so. It doesn't have to be actual removal. So another one is um, 